you guys can have a seat. Um, and man, I, I, I hope that you are encouraged by the fact that our semester is nearing its close. Uh, you have like, I don't know, three days of school left, right? Like it's amazing uh, that we're almost at the end of all things 2019. Uh, and I personally am excited about that. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for Anderson College. And man, I want to welcome you to Grace. If you're new here, uh, maybe you're stepping into, yeah, as I said, things are kind of wrapping up. And, and in the same way, we're wrapping up kind of our study of, of the first eight chapters of the book called Romans in our Bible. Uh, and Romans was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by the Apostle Paul, an early church planner uh, in the very early days of the church, shortly after Jesus had, had risen from the grave and then ascended into heaven, he sent people out. He says, I want you to go and make more disciples, right? Make more of yourselves. And so Paul took that to heart, had, had a moment with Jesus Christ himself uh, on a road and, and just got stopped dead in his tracks and changed everything in his life. He says, I, I, I need to be all about planting churches. And so he wrote a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the church in Rome. And it was a special letter because he had never actually been to the church in Rome. He'd never, he didn't know people in it. He hadn't visited it. He hadn't start, helped start it. And so when he wrote them a letter, what he wanted to do was really lay out the absolute essentials and foundations of our faith, of what it really, the core of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's why, man, we, the, the book of Romans is rich with this incredible knowledge and truth and wisdom about, man, how do we really successfully walk through life knowing the gospel and allowing it to change our day-to-day. And that's what we find in Romans. And so what we've looked at over the last few weeks is this incredible truth that faith in Jesus Christ, in fact, brings incredible freedom to our lives, right? That's, that's what we see laid out in the book of Romans and specifically chapters five through eight, where when we trust in Jesus Christ, it does not, in fact, bind us or, or chain us to a certain list of rules and regulations, but in fact, it opens up our lives and brings incredible freedom, uh, freedom that we can experience from different things like fear, right? We, we can choose hope over hopelessness. Romans 5 told us that, that we have been reconciled to the God of the universe. We've been redeemed. We've been bought out of sin and death by the payment of Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice. And so we have hope in that reconciliation. We've been freed uh, from failure. In other words, we can choose right over wrong. We are no longer bound by sin. We have a choice. We can choose to resist temptation, empowered by the Spirit of God. It's what we looked at two weeks ago in Romans chapter uh, 6. And this morning, we'll be in Romans chapter 7, looking at how we've been freed from the demands, the rules and regulations that the Mosaic law that God had given to his people Israel, what they would call the law, meaning about 600-ish commands of do's and don'ts, we, we've been freed from that. It's, it's, it does not rule over us. It's still important, right? We'll get to this in a few minutes, but, but it does not rule over us. We've been freed from those demands of trying to earn God's approval through our own personal performance. And ultimately, next week, what we'll find in Romans 8 is that we've been freed from death itself, that we can choose the assurance of our salvation over the anxiety that our future so often brings. We have hope that transcends this world. Man, that, that's... That's what we've been studying. That's what we'll kind of wrap up next week. And this morning, as I said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, looking at this idea that we've been freed from the law that God originally gave to his people to set them apart. That we, in fact, have a new ethic. We have a new motivation. That we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are free to choose the love of God over legalism. 
That we are no longer bound by uh, these boxes that we have to check to somehow put ourselves in right standing with God. But that, that in fact, is, is done away with. That, in fact, we can just rest in the knowledge that God loves us, that we can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we're going to find. Because ultimately, man, that, that should give us an incredible hope. Right? That, that's the love that's worth singing about. Right? That's, that's a hope that we should just take to heart because ultimately if we're trying to prove ourselves to, our, to ourselves or to others or to our God, man, that's a futile effort. Ultimately, if we're trying to just check every box and follow every rule, man, we're at, at, at some point in every race, we are doomed to fail. Don't, you better not do it slow. <laughs> Failure. Right? Forever captured by his buddy's phone and I guess whoever filmed this, right? That's... That's what we're headed towards. If we want to just be perfect, right? This is what we saw uh, in Romans chapter 3. If we want to be perfect, if we want to check every box, we want to follow every rule, man, the reality is that at some point we're going to be flat on our backs with a giant yellow tennis ball thing? I don't know, right? Well, that's, it's not going to work out. And so Jesus Christ came to change that, right? To make a new way, to provide a new motivation that we can, in fact, escape the futility of impossible demands and we can rest in the promised hope of incredible deliverance. We can choose the love of Christ over the legalism, the the rules and requirements of the law. So when Paul gets into this, when he explains this in Romans chapter 7, there's kind of three main themes, kind of three arcs that he follows in making this explanation, kind of making this argument. He's going to lay out for us essentially the authority of the law, the way that it works. He's going to talk about the activity that the law still has in our lives. It's still applicable. It's still useful even though it's not Lord over us. Uh, and then eventually he lands on the incredible promised hope of the ability of Jesus Christ and how he has delivered us out of those demands that previously maybe ruled our lives. Right? So he starts in Romans chapter 7. If you want to turn there in your Bible, on your phone, we're also going to have the words up on the screen. But Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he's talking about the authority that the law had and now has in our lives. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law is Lord over a person as long as he lives? All right, so Paul's writing to a church that some of those people in that church, they were raised in the Jewish faith. Right? They were Jewish, they had Jewish heritage, and so they had been taught the Mosaic law, these commands, right? We think of the Ten Commandments. Right? Those were a part of the Mosaic law that God had given to his people to serve a purpose that we'll unpack later. Um, and, and he knows, Paul knows that there are people in that church who grew up being told, hey, these are the ways, this is how you are right with God. You follow these commands, he blesses you. You disobey, he'll curse you. Therefore, if you want to be right with God, you've just got to gotta check all these boxes. Paul says that is a, a Lord, that's a, that's a power that it has over a person as long as he lives. Right? It says there's no end date. God did not provide an end date for that law for his people. Paul says, let me illustrate it a different way. He says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of the marriage. Right? So Paul's using an illustration. He's not trying to make a statement about marriage and divorce. He's using an illustration to talk about our relationship to the law. He says, if you saw 
two people, right, man and woman, and they're both alive and they're both married, right? It would be weird if you saw one of them show up. It'd be weird if you saw the wife show up with another dude to your barbecue, right? Like, Karen, where's Steve, right? That'd be weird if she's with Stephen, right? They're both named Steve. But he, it'd be weird. It'd be really, really weird. Paul says, yeah, that's, that's not right. Right? He says that if, if she's joined to another man while her husband's alive, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, then she's free from that law. And if she's joined to another man, she's not an adulteress. He says, right? It's not weird if Karen shows up and she's with Greg, if Steve is dead. Right? Steve died. He's gone. And a bus. I don't know. Something happened. It's not weird if she shows up with Greg. Because why? It's like, well, that, that marriage is over. He's he's it's been done away with he's dead paul's saying you have changed your relationship to the law because he had just talked about in romans 5 about how jesus christ was our representative that he came lived the perfect life that we could not live died the death that we deserve and when he rose from the grave three days later he said look all that sin and all that shame all that failure all those rules and regulations those, those that law that bound you says i took it to the grave with me you died with me and you've also been raised with me, right? If you trust in me as your God, as your Savior, says, then, then you've died with me and you've been raised with me. In other words, Paul's saying, look, you've, you have a new motivation now. You are now ruled by, motivated by a relationship. No longer a list of regulations to keep, a, a list of boxes that you need to check. It says our ethic, our, our lifestyle, our standard has shifted. Right? This is what we celebrate when we do baptisms. The reason we have baptism, it's, it's this beautiful display, this outward illustration of an inward change. This, this, it's this moment where we say symbolically where someone, so literally we'll have one in here in two weeks, a baptism Sunday, um, and we'll, we'll change the stage up a little bit and the chairs will be kind of weird and a horseshoe. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, we'll have this like portable baptismal and people will get into that baptismal, spoiler alert, uh, and... I will, they'll share their story. They'll talk about what God has done, how he's brought them to himself. He's adopted them out of sin and death and into his family. After they share that, I'll say, man, it's it's my honor and privilege to baptize you. Based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I go, I help them make sure to remember to close up their nose. Sometimes they forget. Ooh, it's like NASCAR crashes, right? You're like, oh, it's wild. Um, But I help them remember to close up their nose. And then I'll lower them into the water, and then I'll bring them back up, and then everyone's going to be like, oh, it's going to be great. And then they get out, and they're wet, and they have to go change because they're cold, right? That's, that's what we do. Why? Because we are showing symbolically you have been buried with Christ, and you've been raised alongside of him. You are now dead to those old ways, those old standards, those old practices, and you've now been raised to a new life. And so I would encourage you, man, if you've never been baptized as a believer, if that's something that you want to take part in, we should talk about it. Uh, we have this link we've thrown up a few times, but um, it, I think you've got one more week that you can still fill out this form if you want to write it down, take a picture with your phone. Um, but if you would like to be baptized in here in a couple of weeks, man, we would love to start that conversation of what that would look like. To, to show, kind of pro, just proclaim for your family and friends, people in this room, your community say, man, this, this is where I belong. I've been raised to a new life with Jesus Christ. 
I've been, I'm now motivated by something different. That's what Paul explains right there in verse 4 that we read a minute ago. It says, my brother and sisters, you're also, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you could be joined to another. Who? To the one who was raised from the dead to bear fruit to God. It says, you now have this new motivation. You now have this new push to live. You're living out of, inspired by a relationship, not a list of rules and regulations. You are now motivated by the love of God rather than the extremes of either legalism or license. Okay, and l- let me explain this. This is what Paul's getting at. It's what he said uh, a chapter before, uh, or a couple chapters before, where he says, you know, you don't need to, if, he, he says, you've been freed, you've been saved by grace, therefore, should you just sin all the more, right? That's license. License would say, okay, because I, you know, I'm saved by grace, therefore, I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. I can live as I please. That's an extreme. It's abusing the love of God, saying, hey, I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Paul's saying, that's, that's not good. Should we, should we live that way? He says, no, that's, that's terrible. It's, it's, it, it doesn't work out well for anyone. He says, you're grieving your Lord. He says, and, and you're ultimately, you're going to just find death for yourself. Like sin doesn't bring good life and satisfaction and joy to your life. That's what we looked at uh, Romans 6. He says, in the same way, just as that's one extreme on the spectrum of license, he says, there's also this extreme of legalism. Saying, yeah, I've been saved by the grace of God, but oh, I better live under his law if I really want to please him. Or if I really want to like guarantee his love, if I want to just, you know, get some bonus points in his books. That's what he's knocking against here in chapter seven. He's saying, no, that's, those are two extremes on a spectrum and you don't need to drift towards either one, right? As as people, a lot of times we want to drift towards one extreme or the other. We, We try to make things binary issues. And sometimes things are right or wrong. Other times, no, there's, there's a middle ground to be found. Paul's saying that's, that's where you need to live. You need to live in this truth that, that the, Lord, you're the Lord, your God, the God of the universe, he saved you out of his own mercy, out of his own grace. There's nothing you can do to change that. And you don't abuse that by then just, you know, running whatever direction you want. He says, but you should honor that relationship. You should honor that sacrifice. But holding on to that truth that, that he loves you, but that's not going to change, right? That's, a, that's something I try to communicate to my kids all the time. I have three kids under five, and, and I try to tell them very consistently, hey, I, I love you. I will always love you no matter what. Right? That's what I want my children to understand about our relationship. I want them to know I will always love you no matter what. And so one of the ways I communicate that to them is I'll, just, I'll ask them, we'll be out and about doing whatever, and I'll, just, I'll say, hey, guess what? I'm like, what? And I say, I love you. Always forever, no matter what. And sometimes they, they've, you know, they're used to me saying this. Sometimes my daughter will try to like beat me to it. I'll be like, hey, guess what? She'll be like, you love me? I'm like, yeah. She goes, I knew that. Like, okay, well, good. Right? Like that's mission accomplished, right? That's who went in my book. All right, but other times uh, my son, Lawrence, he's two and a half and he will, he, he's heard this enough times um, that he has kind of his own response. And so when I try to tell him, I say, hey, Lawrence, I, you know, guess what? Oh, I, I love you, right? He's, he processes that and he has his own kind of way of responding that I captured here a few weeks ago, <laughs> right here. Hey, guess what? what? I love you. I see what? What? I love you. Aw. I see what? What? Magnet. <laughs> What? <laughs> He's a strange child, right? That's all. 
And it's confusing, right? You're like, what kind of onomatopoeia, weird uh, thing is going on here? Is that a Spider-Man's term? Right? So what he's saying is pancake, right? Yeah, and now you're like, oh, now it makes sense. No, it doesn't. Right? That's still, that's more confusing, right? But he's saying pancake. Why? Because he decided at some point it would be so funny that as I'm expressing my love and affection for him, right, this child that I've, I've raised, I've sweated and cried and bled for this boy, right? He knows that in those moments where I'm, I'm pouring out my affection for him, he knows he, he, he can say, like, guess what? And everyone, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to reciprocate, right? I'm finally going to get, like, an inkling of love back from this creature, right, <laughs> who lives with me forever. Every once in a while, I'll say, I love you, which I'm like, aw. And then 90% of the time, he'll say, pancake. Because <laughs> he just thinks that's hilarious. To set me up, be like, Dad, guess what? Aw, pancake. <laughs> Idiot. Right? That's, that's what my son does. And he's, he's, I guess, helping me in a way. Because what it does, it reaffirms, it re-encourages me to say, okay, you know what? I need to love my kids beyond, you know, beyond whatever their actions might you know, be, beyond whatever their attitude might be, I mean, beyond in, any given moment or, or desire or, or you know, behavior. I mean, I, I'm, I'm called by the Lord to love my children, to equip them, empower them, set them on the right path. And that's the highest responsibility I've been given in this world. I'm, I'm the only dad that these kids are ever going to have. It's the greatest legacy and impact I'll ever make on this world. It's through my kids. And so I have to recognize, hey, I'm, I'm going to love you no matter what. And that's what God has told us. He uses the illustration. He calls himself our father for a reason. Because he wants us to accept this simple truth that he cannot love us more than he does, and he will not love us less. He says, once I've adopted you into my family, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been adopted as God's son or daughter. And he is so clear in scripture. He says, I will always love you no matter what. This is what we're going to really unpack next week in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from that love of God in Jesus Christ. He cannot love us more than he already does. He will not love us less, regardless of our actions. Paul is saying, man, you've got to recognize that the law cannot increase your standing in the eyes of God. It cannot do that. But once he lays that out, he's going to explain the law still does have a purpose. That there is still a current activity of the law. He said this is what it can't do. Now he's going to explain, look at verse 7, what it can. He says, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. Certainly, I would not have known sin except through the law. For indeed, I would not have known what it means to desire something belonging to someone else if the law did not say, do not covet. Paul is saying there is a role and a responsibility of the law in our lives. It's to bring conviction. It's to identify the sin and failure in our lives. He said, this, it's still good for that. Is the law sin? Is it outside of the will of God? Absolutely not. God wanted to eradicate the law from all of human memory, and he could, but he didn't. It still serves a purpose. Paul's saying it can be helpful in identifying where we're going wrong. He says, I wouldn't have recognized my, my sinful desires to own something, to have something that my neighbor has, to have something that my friend has, if the law did not tell me, right, 10th commandment, do not covet. It calls out those wrongful desires in my heart. Paul says, I need that. 
Right? I need that conviction. The law is good. And yet, in that conviction, this is what he says, verse 8. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of wrong desires. For apart from the law, sin is dead. He says, here's the terrible truth. That in my sin and in my brokenness, I will actually take a good commandment, something that is meant for good, and it will bring about death. He's going to unpack this again in a minute, but, but he's saying, look, sin, when is, once it is identified, right, that's, it, it's alive. And, and this sin can, in fact, become more of a temptation once it's been identified, right? So that, that, that fruit is just kind of fruit, but then it becomes forbidden fruit, and you're like, hmm, I'm hungry. Right? Like suddenly, we are drawn towards things that we've been told to not move towards. Right? We're, we're, we're drawn to the forbidden things of this world. It's, it's a tragic truth of human nature. Right? One scholar put it this way when he, he describes the role of the law. Warren Wearsby, um, Trip Dub, as I call him, uh, not to his face, but it says that the law is a mirror that reveals the inner man and shows us how dirty we are. This is what Paul is trying to explain. He says, the law, it, it brings out in me, it not only shows me where I'm in the wrong, but it actually, at times, I will twist it and it will push me towards even more wrong. He says, for, for yet I once was, right, this is verse 9, I once was alive apart from the law, but with the coming of the commandment, sin became alive and I died. So I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life brought death. Right, again, he's talking about this this truth that, man, we will twist the commands of God and we will not just see where we fall short, right? When when we become aware of the law of God, right? Which is Paul saying, saying, you know, I tried to live apart from it and I was kind of in this delusional state. I was self-righteous. I was prideful. All of a sudden I saw the law and then my sin became real. I looked in that mirror. I saw where I was in the wrong. He says, but then to take it a step further, I would take those commandments and what was intended to bring life brought death. I was suddenly drawn towards those wrong paths because I was told that they are wrong. Uh, when I was growing up, I kind of thought of my parents as just sort of revolving around planet Jacob, right? That's just kind of what I assumed their role was in the world. Um, if they told me that they loved me, I'd probably say something dumb like pancake, if we're honest, right? And so when there were moments, though, where I, I would generally, though, choose to obey them, right? Because I, because I thought, okay, they probably have my best interests at heart, right? They exist kind of just to serve me, right? They're just my big life-size robot parents, right? This is what they do. At night, they go plug themselves in the wall and power down, um, update. And uh, I assumed, okay, they must have my best interests at heart. So generally, I would obey them. But when I was five years old, my mom painted my bathroom door. She decided it was time, right? Like just this bathroom door is shabby or something. I don't know. And, and I was admiring her painting. She had finished it up. I'm standing there. I'm like, wow, mom, the accent pop is good, right? Or whatever. And in that moment, she turned to me as I'm admiring her handiwork. And she looks at me dead in the eye and she says, Jacob, do not touch the door. Easy, Right? I don't touch doors all the time, right? On the reg. And yet in that moment, as soon as she said something, I was like, I got to touch that door, right? (laughs) 
the world just kind of faded away. I was like, I just, the sound and colors evaporated. There's just the door, right? Calling to me, Jacob, right? Come touch, see, know that I am good. And I just, I had to touch that door. And so as soon as my mom walked away, I just, God, I just, I had to. And I touched the door and oh man, it was a door, right? Like that's it. It wasn't, it wasn't that glorious. Um, but unfortunately I touched the door and then my sin was evident. Like Lady Macbeth, I found the paint of the door on my hands. That's for all you theater geeks. And I just, I said, oh, said I can't wash it away. Right? Like what is, what's wrong? And suddenly my mom came back and she saw the paint on my hands that I was trying to clean up. She saw it because I'm five. You can't hide things when you're five. (laughs) And I thought I was going to just get it, right? I was like, this is it. This is my end, right? Like, at least I went out on top, touching the door, right? Good way to go. But in that moment, instead of facing extreme retribution, instead, I actually, something even worse happened. My mom looked at me, she looked at the door, she looked at my hand, and she started crying. She started crying. And, you know, now I'm worried. Because I'm like, you're going to fry your circuits, first of all. Right, robots shouldn't get water. Uh, second of all, what have I done? Right? I've broken mom. Like, she's crying Looking at this door, I'm feeling the weight of my sin. I felt the weight of my disobedience even in that moment, even at the age of five. I knew I've done such wrong, and and I've hurt my mom through this. And so I start to cry because I'm five. And then you've just got two people in the bathroom crying at the door, right? That's, That's where I found myself because there was something in me that could not give up the, the, the allure of forbidden fruit. There's something in us, even when we've gone that path, even though we've said those things, even though maybe we've, we've launched those attacks and cut those people down, we've, we've entered into that point, or we've walked that road, man, we've, we've entertained those ideas, we've, we, we see the negative effects of sin, right? That's Romans 6. We see that it doesn't even bring the joy and fulfillment that we want, and yet, there's something about being told not to do something that desperately makes us want to do it. Not in everything, but in some. Paul's saying, you are going to fall victim to this over and over and over and over and over and over again. You can't escape it. Especially when you're just trying to play that comparison game. Man, this is what makes it so dangerous, is that a lot of times when we are walking through life as believers, we think, okay, I I just need to, you know, get the best strategy. I just need to listen to the right guy, read the right book. And the reality is that, man, that's simply not, it's not a substitute. One scholar put it this way, he says, you know, as the Christian grows, says that if he's not careful, you'll start to follow a human leader, right, for direction and instruction, uh, and, and accept his teachings as your new law. And this practice is a very subtle form of legalism, and it kills spiritual growth, because no human teacher can take the place of Christ. No book can take the place of the Bible. He says men can give us information, right? Men and women can instruct us and give us information, but only the Spirit of God can provide illumination, help us really understand and apply the truths that God has laid out. That's why Jesus over and over again gives us a command of follow me. He says, follow me, follow, forgive as you've been forgiven, love as you've been loved, right? Go and teach what you've been taught. That's why we have to recognize that, man, ultimately my calling as a believer is to follow Jesus Christ. It's not to follow this, the idea, the structures of Christianity. It's not even to follow other Christians, right? Are those people helpful? Absolutely. Are books good, like helpful? Yes, 
but it's not a substitute for just sitting and being still before your God. That's why week in, week out, I mean, we always try to give you encouragement and equipping to be, spend more time in the word of God on your own. That's why we have things like our reading plan that I talk about every week. And it's because we want you to be coming before the Lord, your God, opening up his word on your own, allowing him to speak truth into your life through the spirit who indwells every believer can bring conviction and strength and motivation. So maybe you read alongside of our Romans series. You can read more of Romans. If you search up Living Free, search Grace College, man, our reading plan will pop up. It's great. It's a great reminder. Maybe you just start working your way through a book of the Bible. Right now I'm reading the Gospel of John. Man, but, but this is a way to remind yourself, okay, I need to be in the Word of God because ultimately I have to bring my needs to Him. That's why even over the break, we're, we wanna, we're working on a, a really cool plan, a reading plan um, that we'll, we'll give you guys next week or the next. And, and it's to help you man, over the winter break because we know that's a time where it can be difficult. We're walking into environments maybe that are really difficult for our spiritual walks. And so we want to say, hey, let's, let's come before the Lord together. Let's read his word. Let's allow him to speak. Let's, let's be in prayer. Because ultimately, it's the ability of Jesus Christ that we have to rest upon. Right? That's where Paul lands. In verse 21. He's going to explain that, look, I find the law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, right? He's saying, look, there's still evil. He's talking about, now he's using the term law just to mean there's a standard kind of practice. There's a general reality that when I want to do good, I still find evil present, right? He says, I delight in the law in my inner being, but I see a different law. Verse 23, I see a different law in my members waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, even though I know that the commands of God are good, he says, I find myself knowing that and yet still living as if I don't know it. I find myself living in other ways, moving in other directions. He says, why? Because I'm, I'm in a body of death. He says, there's still something broken in me. I'm not yet fully transformed in the image of my Savior. So, so I need someone to step in, right? He's saying, ultimately, I can't do this. I have to be rescued. He's literally, in the Greek, he's talking about, I need someone to step in from the outside. He's not saying, I need someone to give me a plan. I need to someone to give me like a new checklist. I need someone to give me a new book to read. He says, no, I, I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to deliver me, literally. Someone needs to deliver me out of my present situation. I need outside help. Why? Because even though what he said, we are dead to sin, sin is not dead to us. It still holds appeal. It still has an allure. We still want to move in the direction that God has told us is not best for us. That does not bring him glory or us good. And so Paul in this moment, the end of chapter seven, it's beautiful. He says, I need this rescue, right? I need this deliverance. So verse 25, so thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Says he did it. It's been done. It's not about what I can accomplish in this life to somehow secure my place in the eyes of God or secure his approval. It says it's about what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. It's about what he's already done. It says he came and he lived and he died and he rose 
So that even though I myself serve the law of God with my mind and with my flesh, I serve the law of sin, even though I'm right there still in that tension, still in that conflict, chapter eight, verse one, he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says, this is the beauty. I'm still in conflict. I'm still torn. I'm still going to stumble. I'm still going to jump on that treadmill and fall right off. But praise be to God that even in my failure, there is no condemnation. Why? Because I'm found in Jesus Christ, who followed the law perfectly, who ran that treadmill, I don't know, however fast you want to run. He says, Jesus Christ has come and has freed me from those old laws. I'm not bound by sin. I'm not bound by the law. I'm not bound by death. I have a new perspective. I have a new freedom that I can find in following Jesus Christ. Even though I'm going to do what I don't want to do, even though I'm not going to do what I know I should. It says God knew that I needed more than the law. He knew that I would need deliverance. This is the beauty of our gospel. That ultimately even though there's something in us that wants to check the box, right? There's something in us that, that, that wants to prove ourselves, to prove to ourselves or to others that, that God should love us, right? That we deserve it on some level. Right? For whatever reason, there's something in us that, that desperately craves personal achievement. Even though that's what we desire. Even though ultimately that would lead us to destruction, right? Paul says in Romans 1 and 2 and 3, that if we are judged by our own standards, man, we're all going to fail. It says, even though that's where we drift, God loved us too much to let us run in that direction. He loved us too much to leave us trying to just claw our way up towards him. Trying to follow the law that he knew we couldn't fall, follow. Trying to follow a law that he knew would only have to push us towards dependence that he knew would have to push us to trusting in him, right? We were never saved by the law, by a list of commandments. God said, I, he reveals this in Hebrews. He says, I, I wanted you to be driven towards trusting in me, no recognizing that ultimately on your own, you're hopeless, right? That's what the law does. It says those demands, those lists, those requirements, those no longer hold power over you because Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. It's still useful because it brings conviction, but it's not your salvation. That's found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you came in, there was a little card on your seat. And we've done this the last couple of weeks, but, but essentially that card is there, and hopefully there's a pen nearby. We put those in kind of every other chair. So you might have to share or maybe reach over and grab one, but but that card is there because we want to take a moment and just be honest with ourselves and with our God. We want to be honest and confess to him where we are still trying to earn his approval. And I'll tell you, this is something that I was thinking about. I was wrestling with this this week for myself. And I was like, man, how, how do I identify that, right? Because I think sometimes it's not even, it's, sometimes it's subconscious that, that we're really trying to seek God's approval. We're trying to earn his approval through our work. 
And so maybe you have a self-awareness where you're like, yeah, I try to do these things to like prove that God should love me and that I deserve it. Maybe you have that awareness. Maybe you're like me and that was harder to come up with. And and what I landed on, what I realized, I think where the spirit led was I I had a different question that I, I needed to ask. And the way that I was kind of able to identify where I was trying to prove myself was I, I asked myself, well, where does failure make me crumble and run away from God? Where does my inevitable failure just destroy me and, and force me to run from God rather than to him? And that's when I realized, oh, that's, that's because I think at some level, that if I can succeed in X, Y, Z, that then God will really love me, that then he'll really approve of me, that then he'll think more highly of me. There it was. And just being honest, one of the things that came to my mind was, was my work, right? Just my job. Technically, you know, in some ways, I work for God, right? That's kind of my thing. And in light of that, I realize that there are times that I can twist my role. I can twist my calling to being a minister of the gospel. And if I feel like I'm not succeeding, if I try something and I feel like it fails, or if I, 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 I give a talk, I step off of a stage, and I'm like, oh, that was fine. Right? Like, those are moments where I am more prone to just feeling defeated. Those are moments where I'm just like, ugh, what am I doing? doing. And, I, and I'm, I'm distraught and I run from the Lord, not to him. And I realized, well, it's because I, on some level, I'm convincing myself that if I can just, just knock out that sermon, man, if I can just land that perfect application, if I can just create the most beautiful slide, then God's really going to love me. If I can just alliterate freedom and falling, oh, there it is. That's what I convince myself. It's twisted. It's wrong. So I don't know what it is for you. But, you know, we're, we're going to continue in worship here in just a moment. But before we do, my hope is that we would have a moment of just confession, of realization that, hey, you know what? I'm trying to earn the love of God in X, Y, Z. And, and if you want to take a moment, just write it out. Awesome. And if that's something you want to keep with you, and you say, you know what? This is not true, right? Like God has, he's told me, this is not how I earn acceptance. It's only by trusting in Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his perfect work. That's how I gain righteousness. That's how I become right with God. If you want to hang on to that, put it in your car, stick it in your mirror, awesome. Uh, if not, you know, also we're collecting these cards every week and we're putting them in a basket on your way out and we're using them in this big illustration next week. It's going to be super fun. So if, if you would be willing to just toss in the basket on your way out to that that's also great. But, but take this moment and just in prayer, thinking about it, confess to the Lord, God, this is where I'm trying to earn your approval. And so I'll wrap us up in prayer in just a moment. still writing, that's great. Take your time. Um, For the rest of us that are done, uh, if you would just join me in prayer. Lord, we 
confess that our best is never good enough. The God that we find our hope and our peace and our, our acceptance only through the blood of Christ. That God, if we are trying to, to put the work of salvation upon ourselves, well, that is a, a foolish endeavor. God, it's a, it's a futile attempt. So Lord, we just pray that in your mercy, God, that you would convict us of where we're still trying to do that. Even as followers of Christ, God, show us where are we still trying to prove ourselves and work in such a way that we can boast in what we've accomplished. When, God, you've told us that there's, there's no boasting in what we do and the work that's done. God, we, we instead don't boast in ourselves. We boast in you and, and what you can accomplish. God, that the good work that you've built us for, that you've called us to, that, Lord, is good, that fruit that you want us to bear, Lord, ultimately is, is by your strength and your power and your spirit. So, God, help us boast in, in, in you. And if you would, take this moment right now and maybe you need to ask the Lord to still bring to your mind where it is you're, you're trying to prove yourself. Um, maybe you couldn't think of something to write down. So maybe just take this moment and pray. Say, God, convict me. God, show me. Where am I still trying to earn your approval and love that you've already promised is given freely to those who believe in Jesus Christ? And as you maybe are, if the, as that comes to mind, then ask the Lord to increase your faith. When, when Jesus called his disciples to, to go beyond what they thought they could do, to do something beyond what they thought they could do, when, they, when he asked them to, told them to forgive beyond anything they ever thought they could possibly forgive, what they asked him for was more faith. They said, God, Jesus, they said, increase our faith so we could answer this high calling. So for some of us, we're saying, God, I, I don't know how to overcome this this conditionality I've placed on your love in my own mind. So ask him, say, God, give me faith, increase my faith so that I can trust in you and in the completed work of Jesus Christ. I mean, ask him for that conviction and for that clarity and that faith right now.